Good evening. Turn to your songs to uh, 197. 197. All praise to him who reigns above. One seventy one. One seventy one. My shepherd is the Heavenly Father.
Well, good evening. Thank you all for sacrificing a nice evening at home on the back porch with a cup of coffee or tea or whatever. Thanks for sacrificing that and coming out to this service this evening. Oh, this evening we have three characters picked out of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, is the verse that, And what shall I more say? For the time would fill me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. So tonight we have uh, three of those picked out, and we have uh, three of the youth that will be sharing on those. And uh, I know for some it may be the first time talking, so I'm really excited about. And I know they're not they're not as excited as what I am, but I'm excited for them that they're going to that they actually were willing to take this opportunity, and I commend them very much for being brave enough to take these characters and um, to study them and to tell us a little bit about them, which we don't know much about. It doesn't give us much detail here, obviously. It does in the Old Testament. But they are characters of faith. And as I was thinking about that a little bit today, um, I just left my mind wonder a little deeper into the idea of faith than what I normally do. And I asked the question, you know, what is faith? And we have Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, talks about faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I like some of the other translations better, and I don't have them written down, but I think we understand what it's, what it's saying. Uh, but as I was thinking about it, I thought about Hebrews 11, verse 6. Uh, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we see here, the first part says, so without faith it is impossible to please him. But it does go on to say a little bit more. But if faith is that important, maybe we don't talk about it enough. Uh, we we know that the um, in Hebrews 11 verse 3 it says through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear and there again we understand that is basically talking about the things the earth as we see it and other things and and whatever we see we realize that it was spoken into existence it was not born uh, out of a seed or something like that. The world was created by the word of God and we believe that by faith. At least I hope we do and I believe we do even though some people do not believe it. That's simple. Then if you uh, go into James uh, it talks about James chapter 2, it, my Bible just says, faith without works is dead. Um, 
Hebrew or James 2 17 says even so faith if it hath not works is dead being alone and it gives a list of some of the same characters uh, it mentions Abraham it mentions Rahab um, just looking real quick it may mention a few more I'm not sure but most of the characters, most of those in Hebrews 11, when it talks about their faith, it talks about something that they, that they did. Uh, Abraham, Noah built an ark because it says, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, you know that he moved and he prepared a house. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into place, he went. Uh, but so, so we look at that list of characters of faith, and we recognize that they had faith, but that there was a action, there was something that prompted them to move, to do. Uh, with that faith. And James talks very much about that. Faith alone uh, is not enough. If Noah would have had faith and would have done absolutely nothing, it would not have accomplished, if we may say it that way, what God wanted to if Abraham would have had faith and would have done absolutely nothing but stayed right where he was, would it have accomplished uh, what God wanted it to? So James talks about faith without works is, is dead. Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead. But I thought about that then where it talks about by faith we believe... In, in Hebrews 11, verse 3, I'm talking again. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. What in that verse prompts a work? And maybe, maybe I'm saying something that I shouldn't, or maybe I'm twisting it in a way that I shouldn't. But we see so much action attached to faith. But here it talks about we just believe by faith that the worlds were created. What's, what's your thought? What is, what is the action to faith in, in Hebrews 11 verse 3? I'm okay with somebody speaking up or giving a thought. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't really looking for any certain answer, so I, I appreciate that. Um, I, I just thought of one thing. If we believe by faith that the earth was created as Genesis said it was by the spoken word, 
the only action that I can really think that would prompt a works or a doing is should that not move us to worship and to recognize a God that great? If I may only say, if, it, if, it's, if I can say that any kind of reaction from us when we look at, at how the world was created should be just simply our worshiping of such a mighty, mighty God. Oh. And then uh, James chapter 224, uh, it kind of sums up some of these. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. And James chapter 226 is another one. Whereas the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. We recognize a body without a spirit. And I think it's, it's, in my interpretation, it's talking about a living spirit. And we recognize that as funerals. Uh, a body with no life, no spirit, nothing to move it, nothing to drive it, nothing to make it work um, is, is a dead body. But it says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So with that in mind, uh, I just, yeah, there's a lot of other things, you know, that we could ask of what is faith. But when I just thought about without faith, it is impossible to please God. So many times, if not most of the time, it requires an action. It requires something. Uh, but faith is still kind of the beginning. So hopefully that'll just... I, didn't want to take anything away from uh, Kendall Bang will be the first one talking. After Kendall, we'll have uh, Josh Lapp. And after Josh Lapp, we'll have Kendall Mast. So that's the order which we'll have the uh, character studies. But before that, uh, Marlon Stolzfus will have a uh, children's class. So we have Marlon coming up and doing a children's class. And then we'll have Kendall Bang, Josh Ash, maybe I said it wrong, I don't know, and then Kendall Mass. And then after they're done, uh, I will then close the service, get up and close the service. So after I lead in a word of prayer, we will, that'll be the order of the service, Marlon, Kendall, Josh, and Kendall. So let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, this evening we thank you for just allowing us the freedom in this land to come together in this way. And this evening, Lord, as we look into your word, and especially on the subject of faith, might it challenge us to um, just allow our hearts and our thoughts and our minds to go deeper into faith and what faith actually means to you and what uh, faith should look like in us and uh, how that we should respond to that faith. This evening, Lord, I just do pray for the uh, youth that are talking. Lord, I just pray that you would help them to be calm, just allow their spirits to be at peace, and just uh, help them to think clearly. Just pray for the children's class, that the children could also learn something 
that would impact their lives. And Lord, again, we just thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for your blessings. And we commit this service to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if the children want to come up, I'll help you get organized a little bit. table set up and he wants to use that to illustrate something so you want to settled in almost all right well that was good who was listening what was sylvan talking about yes that's right i'm gonna actually talk a little talk a little about faith i'm gonna talk about the opposite of faith and uh, ephesians 4 14 says that we henceforth uh, no more sorry that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. So basically what it's saying here is we, we have to understand what we believe. So if you don't understand what we believe, you're going to get it thrown all over the place. Who ever saw a little boat or a piece of wood or something out in the water and the wind's blowing? What happens to that, that little boat? It just kind of rocks around. It just, just bounces around all over the place. Um... What is something that, as children, what is something that you can do to learn how to not be thrown around as you get older? Any thoughts? Pardon me? What my name is? I'm sorry, what's that? That's right, that's good, that's excellent. He said... He said, listen to your parents. That's very good. That's a foundation. Um, any other, anything else that you can do? That's, that's really the foundation right there. Is you can listen to your parents. They'll teach you how to, how to not be thrown around. As you get older, why you are going to get thrown around. I'm going to do a little illustration here of the difference of knowing what you believe and the difference of not knowing what you believe. So I need... Um, I'm going to go with three volunteers. I need some. Who, who's, who's the oldest here? Who, who's 11 years old? Okay. You two, the two 11-year-olds come up. Are you 11? No. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. And then we need one more. Jeremiah, won't you come up? He said he wants to help. Carpet in here. Is this old carpet?
or not. They're hard-boiled. The eggs that were spinning correctly were hard-boiled. And that is a good illustration of knowing what you believe. Because in your heart, you're solid. You know exactly what God wants you to do, or where God wants you to be. And there's no doubt of what you believe. And you can just, through life, you, with God in control, you can go through life. When the egg is not hard-boiled, it's all over the place. You cannot get it to spin like a top. All right, well, thanks for your uh, participation. Uh, do I dismiss him, Sylvan? Yeah. yeah, go ahead. You can go back to your seat. Good evening. So this evening I'm going to talk about Bayrock, as Sullivan said. And um, many of you probably already know the story of Bayrock or the account of Bayrock. But I want to go over a little bit of the history, um, just so you kind of know kind of the time frame and um, what it was like back then. So um, Bayrock, um, the account of Bayrock is during the time of the judges. So there was um, no king in Israel. Um, the judges kind of ruled the people of um, the children of Israel. And Ehud had been the judge, and then he died, and the children of Israel basically fell away. During the time of Ehud, they followed God, but then after Ehud died and his, um, he was no longer with them, they basically forgot about God. And um, like they did many other times, they fell away, and God gave them over to um, another nation or something as punishment. And God gave them over to Jabin, the king of Canaan. And the king of Canaan, um, Canaan is like a large area. So the king of Canaan was probably a king of many different tribes that he had united under his control. So he was um, pretty powerful. 
and Cicero was his army commander. So um, his army commander, the Bible says he had 900 iron chariot, chariots. Um, during this time, an iron chariot was pretty rare, and so 900 of them was, um, he had a big army. And it doesn't say how many people it had, but he, it says he had 900 chariots and a host of people. So he obviously had a big army. But God, God gave them over to um, their army, not because, not because of how big the army was, but because God wanted to punish the children of Israel. So they were under Jabin, the king of Canaan's rule, for 20 years. And then they humbled themselves before God, and God was faithful. And um, during this time, was Deborah was judge, and Deborah called for Barak to lead the children of Israel um, up against Sisera. And so many of you know the story of Barak. He went up with 10,000 men against a host of people. Um, it was great odds against him, but um, when Deborah called him, he said he would not go up unless Deborah goes with him. And we often kind of view that as kind of like a cowardly thing, or um, I don't know, we kind of look down on that. But the Bible doesn't say if it was good or bad. I'd like to look at it kind of as a good thing tonight. Um, during this time, as I said, they had judges, and judges was pretty much their communication with God. They would communicate to God through the judge. The, um, God would communicate to the people through the judge. And so if he had Deborah with him, it was kind of like God's voice to him, and he wanted that with him. So I'm going to read Judges 4, verse 8. I'll just be reading along a couple verses here at a time as we go through here. So verse 8 says, And Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go, but if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. So here we can kind of see his dependence on God. He wanted God's voice with him um, all the time. And then verse 9 says, And she said, I will surely go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor, but the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. So Barak here, you can see he was willing to perform God's calling to him, even without um, any gain. And so he knew ahead of time that he was not going to um, have any gain, but he was still willing to perform God's um, call on him. And then verse 14, it says, this is when they were going up in battle, it says, And Deborah said unto Barak, Up, for this day is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor and 10,000 men after him. So he had 10,000 men against 900 iron chariots and a host of other people. But here we can see that he followed God's leading and God speaking through Deborah. And we can see that he obviously had a lot of faith here because um, the odds were greatly against him. But um, he followed God's leading without, without a question. And then they, as you know, they went up to battle and they had a great victory. They um, pretty much killed everybody in the battle except for Sisera, their army commander um, fled and um, he fled and jail um, a lady in a tent ended up killing him with a tent peg from um, the tent as he slept. So verse 24, uh, 22 of chapter 4 says, And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, jail came out to meet him and said unto him, Come, uh, sorry, this is 22, yeah. Yeah, come, and I will come, uh, sorry, yeah. No, 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 22. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, jail came out to meet him, 
and said unto him, Come, and I'll show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when he came out to meet her in the tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. So here we can see that he didn't quit. He didn't quit. Um, after he had pretty much killed the whole army, he kept going um, to the very end and um, until Sisera, he knew that Sisera was dead as well. And then jumping over to verse 24, it says, And the hand of the children of Israel pros prospered and prevailed against Jabin the king of Canaan until they had destroyed Jabin king of Canaan. So here um, we can see that they didn't just destroy the army commander, they went and killed the king as well. And so just because Barak, um, he wasn't a judge or anything, but because of his faith, um, the whole, all of Israel prospered and they were able to kill the king of Canaan. And then chapter five, verse one and three, talks a little bit about he gave the glory to God. And um, we can see here him and Deborah sang a song, song of praise to God. And he, he was not trying to um, give the glory to himself or anything like that, but him and Deborah gave the glory to God. And often, even in our lives, um, we can do stuff, but it's important that we remember to give the glory to God when um, he helps us. And it's because of him that we are able um, to get things done. So then down at verse 15 and 18, um, 15 through 18, and the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar and also Barak. He was sent on foot into the valley for the divisions of Reuben there were great thoughts of heart. Why bidest thou among the sheepfolds to hear the bleedings of the flock, or the divisions of Reuben? There were great searchings of heart. Gilead abode beyond Jordan, and why did Dan remain in the ships? Asher continued in the seashore and abode in his breaches. Zebulun and Naphtali were among the people that jeoparded their lives unto death in the high places of the field. So here we can see that only two, two of the tribes of Israel actually um, went to battle. But many of, many of the other tribes had stayed back but that didn't scare Barak. He followed God's call even when others stayed back. And um, we can see he had great faith there. And then verse 24, he gave, he gave credit to Jael. He didn't try to um, gain the credit to himself, but um, he gave the credit to credit back to Jael. And 31, the end of verse 31, it says, and the, hand, and the land had rest for 40 years because of that. So here we can see it had lasting impact. And just because of Barak's faith, um, they had lasting impact for 40 years. They were had, um, the land had rest. And so because of Barak's faith, he had a lot of faith. He's listed in the faith chapter, as Sylvan said. And I'm going to read a quote by Ronald Reagan yet. It says, there is no limit to the amount of good you can do if you don't care about who gets the credit. So that's kind of important for us to remember. Um, often when we go about our lives, we... Um, we try to get credit for ourselves and everything, but if we don't care about who gets the credit and we don't care um, about things like that, but we just want to be faithful to God and do whatever he wants, then um, there's basically no limit that we can do. Thank you for your attention. Hey, I'm going to be talking about Jephthah, and I got to thank Kendall, first of all, for making it a little easier for me. He gave you the history of the judges and told you about some of them already. And Jephthah uh, was a judge. He was born in Gilead, um, 
and his father's name is also Gilead. But he really struggled in the beginning. Um, as a young boy, uh, he was kicked out of his kicked out of his house by his brothers because um, they said he had a strange mother. Uh, his mother was. It says in verse two that his mother um, mother was a harlot, and so um, they they thought less of him and didn't want him to have part of the inheritance. So they kicked him out of his house, and he had to flee. And he fled, and um, he was got a bunch of other men and just went around fighting people. He was very much a warrior, went around fighting a lot of people, and. Um, then the people of Gilead came back to him, and uh, when the Ammonites were really were um, being enemies of the people of Gilead, they called him back, and they wanted his help again. And um, Judges 11.1, 1, just another thing about Jephthah, uh, he was a mighty man of valor, and he was a very good warrior and fighter. Um... One of the biggest stories about Jephthah, and one we probably know the most, is his vow. And that's one of the most important stories about Jephthah. And I'm going to read about that vow in Judges 11, 29 through 40. Judges 11, 29 through 40. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead, and Manasseh, and passed over Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord, and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up a burnt offering. So Jephthah passed over passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them from their arrow, even till thou come to the minute, even twenty cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards with the very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances. And she was his only child. Beside her he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes, and he said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which proceeded out of thy mouth, for as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. And she said unto her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months, that I may go up and down upon the mountains, and be well my virginity, I and all my fellows. And he said, Go, and he sent her away for two months, and she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow, with which he had vowed. And she knew no man, and it was a, cur and it was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughters of Jephthah, the Gilead, Gileadite. 
four days in a year. So this is a pretty crazy story and um, found it really interesting to read more about it. And um, I know Jephthah really greatly regretted his vow, but one crazy thing about it is he kept it and he didn't let down, uh, he kept his promise. Just like God keeps all his promise, Jephthah kept his, and we need to keep ours. Um, and also his daughter. His daughter didn't let him break the promise. I'm pretty sure without her saying what she did in verses, um, in verse 36, that I'm pretty sure Jephthah would have probably broke his promise and his vow. But his daughter did not want him to break God's promise. His daughter did not want him to back down. And... Um, and that's a great lesson for us. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Abraham and Isaac. Isaac was willing to be sacrificed. And, but that didn't happen. But um, Jephthah's daughter was also willing to be sacrificed in order for her dad to, uh, to keep his promise to God. Um, and that's one big lesson for us. And that's also... I think the reason why he's mentioned in Hebrews 11. So in Hebrews 11, verse 33, um, Sylvan already read verse 32, and then I'm going to read verse 33. It says, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. And that's talking about the people that were in verse 32, and Jephthah is one of them. And one of those is, it says he obtained promises. And he kept promises and kept his vow um, to God and never and didn't let it go. Um, so that's a great that's a great lesson for us to keep our promises to God and don't back down on on um, what we say to God. Tonight, I get the privilege of talking to you all about the last and greatest prophet of Israel, and that is Samuel. <clears throat> Samuel, like I said, he was the last prophet of Israel before they had the kings, and also he was considered the greatest prophet. One thing that's interesting about Samuel, it's a little bit harder to talk about, he has a lot written about him or in the Old Testament, First Samuel's pretty long, so it's not just one story to talk about Samuel. There's a lot more going on with Samuel. And also... He wasn't just a judge for Israel. He kind of had uh, kind of a three-in-one going on, I guess. He was a judge, a prophet, and a priest. He did all three of those functions for Israel throughout his life. And tonight, instead of focusing on one story, I want to talk a little bit more about Samuel's, I guess, character, or one word that really defines Samuel for who he was. And that word is integrity. Integrity is something that a lot of people want to achieve. And I think Samuel's a great great example of that. Something that's interesting about Samuel is that integrity was kind of in his life before he even came into existence, because his parents were great, was a great man and woman of integrity. We know all know the story of his mother, Hannah. Um, she was barren, and she did not have any children, and every year she would go to the temple and pray to God and ask for a son, or ask for children, but um, she didn't waver from that. She was faithful, and she was there every single year praying to God. And also, the reason I say his father had integrity was because his father did not put away his, um, his mom or did not treat her um, 
unfairly. Because back then, people, uh, women that didn't have children were kind of looked down upon. And for him to have a wife that was barren, was, he could have mistreated her or uh, treated her less than um, his other wives or his other wife. And um, yeah, he just could have really not treated her nicely. But he still um, was faithful to her and uh, stuck by her side. So that's why I say integrity was in his genetics, I guess, from his parents. And we all know the story how Hannah prayed, and then she, she was given a son, Samuel, and she promised to give him back to God. So he lived with Eli for many years. Growing up, he was living with Eli. He was around the temple. He was there. And, um, yeah, it's, that's kind of where the story began. And uh, I'm kind of going to go down through different points that point back to why he has integrity or why he was a great man of integrity. The first point is that he had a good character. And this is something that um, is actually talked about in Samuel a little bit. Um, in 1 Samuel 2.26, it says he grew in favor with God and man. It wasn't just that God looked at him as a great man, but people around him liked him. He was a good man. He was known. He had a reputation. Reputation is kind of another word for character. His reputation was good among the people. And he didn't have a normal childhood. He grew up living with Eli. And um, some people might look down on that or would think that maybe he wouldn't turn out right or something because he didn't have a normal family, you know. But, um, yeah, he didn't let, that didn't stop him from becoming someone great. He submitted to Eli, and he lived with him, and he learned a lot from Eli. The second point I have is that he was non-compromising. Growing up in the temple, he um, was working with the people there, and he worked with Eli's sons. And we all know the story of Eli's sons that they became immoral, and they um, went down the wrong path. But he didn't get involved with them, and he did not um, like go along with them. And then when God asked him to deliver the message to Eli about Eli's sons, he didn't compromise and didn't give, he didn't um, waver from that. He went to Eli and he delivered the message that God asked him to. And we also see that several other times, like when he went to talk to David about um, Bathsheba. He didn't waver from that. Even though it was, he cared about David a lot, he knew that he had a mission, he didn't compromise the message he had to deliver. The next point I have is that he was trustworthy. Uh, the, one point, the one place we see this, this kind of goes along with his character as he was, he was, um, and his reputation. In his farewell speech to Israel, when the last time he talked to Israel, he, um, he was talking, and near the end he talks about, he asked, he asked a crowd, he asked everyone there, he says, I did these things for Israel, but if anybody has an issue with anything I've done, or if I've done anything wrong to anybody, come forward and tell the people right now. And nobody could come forward and say anything that he did wrong. He never stole from anybody, he never cheated anybody. He never did anything wrong to the people. I think that's a big, a big testimony to who Samuel was. Another point that, uh, for integrity is that he was humble. His humble character was um, a big part of who he was. He had so many achievements. He did so many great things for Israel, but he always pointed everything back to God. He didn't let that puff him up. He could have become very proud and said, look at what I'm doing for this nation. Look at the great leader that I am. But he didn't do that. He pointed everything back to God. In 1 Samuel 7, 7 through 12, it talks about um, the time that the Philistines were coming up against Israel and the people started complaining and they were um, scared of the Philistines and Samuel prayed to God and God brought a storm and just completely annihilated 
the Philistines. But instead of saying that, like, Samuel didn't say, I didn't have anything to do with this. Instead of that, he made a monument and erected it and gave it the glory to God and said, you guys remember this of God's faithfulness because of this monument that I erected. And the last, uh, last thing I have that um, points to his integrity is that he was God-centered. The one hardest thing that he had to deal with, I think, was that the people asked for a king. And it's very interesting that um, the king was not really in God's plan. I don't believe it was in God's plan for Israel. And we go into a lot of things with that. But um, he, um, they asked for a king because they were kind of scared and they were kind of, you know, they wanted, they wanted a leader like the other nations around them. They didn't want to be different. They wanted a, they wanted a king, and so they asked for it. And even though, um, even though they did that, Samuel was still faithful and still prayed for them. Talks about that in uh, 1 Samuel 12. In 1 Samuel 12, 20. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people. For his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. One part of this that I never really thought about before is that by anointing David and, uh, sorry, anointing Saul, my bad, anointing Saul and bringing in the king, um, Samuel was kind of giving up some of his um, some of his own plan maybe that he had in place because his sons would have been the next judges in line. And by anointing Saul, that kind of gave up his plan for his life or for his children. And uh, back then, you know, that um, like children doing, like following their father's footsteps and stuff was a big deal and continuing the name of that. And he had to give that up to appease the people. He cared about the people so much and was willing to give up so much that he uh, gave up his own interest for the common interest. He was willing to set up a king for them. So again, the reason that he was a man of integrity was because he had a good character or a reputation, good reputation. He was non-compromising. He was trustworthy. He had a humble character, and he was God-centered. The world today needs men and women with the integrity and moral values of Samuel, who are willing to pay the full price for integrity even at the expense of their own lives and their comforts of this world. With these types of people, the world will be won for Christ. Well, I want to thank you again. I think you all did a great job. And uh, you this evening, if this was your first time speaking publicly or, or studying out something like this, use that as a stepping stone. You did a good job. You can do it again.
So next time somebody asks you, be ready. <laughs> no, thank you very much. Uh, I think for me to hide, to wrap these three characters up, I think the uh, the children's class that uh, Marlon had probably sums it up about as about as good as anything is that these men knew where they stood. They knew who God was, and they did not waver. Uh, and, and that is what helped them stay on the path, and that is what helped them to overcome because they were not of the unstable, but they were of the uh, stable men. Uh, another thing is, I don't know if there's any of the... Of the uh, characters of faith there in Hebrews that we probably all have are ones that we think is probably the greatest or he did the most or whatever. I don't know. I never really thought about it, but I just came across an article that uh, somebody wrote and their idea was that, you know, their pick of, of yeah, was Moses. They thought that of, of them all. And, and, and this I'm just going to let them choose what they want to to pick out which is the greatest in their eyes because I don't know if I don't know if I would even really do that. But I appreciated what it talked about Moses and, and the reason one of the reasons that it gave that this person gave Moses so much credit for being mentioned there is uh, I guess they 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 went back and they looked at where Egypt was in the time that Moses was there. And Egypt was probably one of the most prosperous, one of the most glamorous, one of the greatest places to live as far as prosperity, as far as prospering and uh, just, yeah, having just about everything that you want. And they said that was the time that Moses would have lived in Egypt. And the challenge is, it's that Moses gave all that up. Moses walked away from that, and it described him as walking away from one of the greatest places to live, and not the greatest place to live, but he was also in one of the highest rankings. He was up there in the very near top uh, in order of ruling that land. And he walked away from that, and it called the place where the children of Israel were as the place of dung. One of the lowest places in the greatest cities, they were slaves. And Moses walked away from that and went over to this. And in that, Moses is given credit. Moses is given credit for a sacrifice of lifestyle. And that challenged me greatly. Challenged me greatly. I, I tried to come up with a comparison of, you know, what Moses left to what he went to be. And I just kind of concluded that, you know, I, I probably won't come up with a good illustration. But for not having none, I thought, how would it be if any of us would go and camp out in the refugees camps that some of the people are fleeing to and are living in and leaving everything that you have in your home and in where you're at 
and going and not only not only being a staff to provide for them but maybe even being one of them taking up their tent taking up their lack of home their lack of possession their lack of belonging and becoming one of them i don't know if that's a comparison of moses or not but uh that that yeah that that really challenged me as i as i thought about moses in that way but i really really appreciated everything that you brought out about the three characters that you studied tonight. Uh, I know we're going to close up early, but we're not going to take away from what they talked about. Uh, we're going to close with uh, three songs, which is two more than what we normally do. And then, uh, John, would you mind closing in prayer? Then, And then you can consider yourself dismissed. So we'll have three songs, and then John will close with a song. Thank you. Turn your song books to 634. 634, standing on the promises.
turn to 919. 919. I am resolved. number 830 <laughs> 
I appreciated the evening and uh, thank you to young men who have shared tonight and uh, Sylvan uh, kind of asked the question you know uh, which one of these men were the most important and I think that uh, they were all of the same importance and God used them for a purpose for the time that they lived. And the Bible is a story and uh, it's a story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, also uh, that last song of us believing the promises of God and of course uh, the apostle I have kind of a favorite on that where the apostle Peter where he talks about the end times and he says but we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness and uh, <laughs> these heroes of faith that we read about in Hebrews 11 were all part of that story and fit in at the time that God saw best fit for them and uh, a lot of things that we can learn from that. So let's stand and thank the Lord. <clears throat> Our God and Heavenly Father, tonight we thank you for your great love to us and thank you for the marvelous way that you have provided for us salvation in the merits of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you, Heavenly Father, for the privilege we have as believers in Christ to fellowship together and uh, pray that you would grant for us to... Uh, Give us what we need to encourage one another to live our faith, live what we believe. And so we thank you for your faithfulness and uh, thank you for the men and women that have gone the way before us and have shown us the way. And so may we be able to encourage one another day by day. And may your great uh, love and mercy and grace encourage us each day of our life. And I pray, dear Heavenly Father, that we could find ways to serve you faithfully till you call us home. And so we commit ourselves to you at the close of this meeting trust you to go with us, and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go in peace.